Welcome to episode 335 of Live Happy Now. Most of us think of yoga as a physical practice, but today's guest shows us how it can help us develop our intuition and encourage us to follow our dreams. I'm your host, Paula Phelps, and this week I'm talking with Corey Hahn, a yogi who promotes soul growth through practices like yoga and meditation. Her new book, Rituals of the Soul, Using the Eight Ancient Principles of Yoga to Create a Modern and Meaningful Life, explores yoga through an ancient text called the Yoga Sutras. Corey has translated and simplified that ancient text to create a modern, actionable way to use meditation, breathwork, and other practices to develop our intuition and cultivate greater focus and joy in our daily lives. And you can do all of this without ever setting foot on a yoga mat. Let's find out how. Corey, welcome to Live Happy Now. Thank you. I am so ready to have this conversation with you. I've been living with your book for a couple of weeks now, and you have a lot to teach us. So before we get into some of my other questions, you approach yoga in a deeper way than we usually think about it, because we normally think of it just as a physical practice. So can you tell us where this fascinating journey started for you? Yeah, as far as what you just talked about, finding the deeper parts than the physical practice that took being deeply into my physical practice for a long time. Right. And I still wasn't finding that contentment, that peace, that relaxation they said should come. And I wasn't enlightened, even though I could get both of my feet behind my head. And so I really had to dive deeper and I realized that most of my struggles were deeper than the physical. They were in my psyche. They were in my unconscious. And so I think realizing once I realized that my struggle was deeper than the practice naturally led me deeper as well. The physical is such a tiny aspect of the system of yoga and this art that Patanjali, who wrote the scripts, the sutras, really defining how this process works. There's only one of 200 sutras on the physical, on on the body, on postures, and that's just to be comfortable and steady. So it's pretty much like get comfortable and then let's study this whole science. But for some reason in the West, we only that one made it through. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, because for us, like when I hear yoga, we think this is a physical practice. Like I, myself, I get up every morning, I do 15 to 20 minutes of yoga and it is nothing like what you talk about in your book. Yeah, there's so much more to it, isn't there? And I mean, it just unravels over time, even more and more. But, you know, yoga means the cessation of the fluctuations of the mind. It's really a practice to help us find our spiritual selves and to become enlightened, most definitely, but really to stop all the suffering, the ups and downs of the mind and learn to be in balance. And that's really what they want us to do is find that peace and calm. And, and that's, often going to take more than just a couple of down dogs. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to do so. corpse pose. Will that work? No. <laughs> yeah, yes, actually. It's funny because that is most of my practice these days really? is in corpse pose. It's deep relaxation, meditation, feeling for what I want and need, really asking myself, what is it that would make you feel better? And some people might call that inner child work, but to me, it's just asking what I want and need and trying to help myself to create that reality. If yeah. I think I need more grounding right now, then, then give yourself that. If you think you need a friend to talk something out with, it can be so much more simple than we, we make it. Exactly. <laughs> I think. 
We like to complicate things. Oh, the mind most definitely does. <laughs> so, well, how did you discover these eight ancient principles? Because, in again, in looking at this, and I've been doing yoga for a while, and I'd never heard of this. I mean, some of the things, the truths that you pull out are things that we've heard elsewhere, but not like this. So how did you discover these principles? Well, to be honest, I, in many ways, I feel that this book, that that yoga, where the yoga fits in and how to use the yoga, that could only be channeled. I mean, I'm just not that wise, Paula, <laughs> but I I don't know. And I keep getting asked that. But one thing, this book started as a research book. I wanted to know how yoga actually scientifically could connect us to our intuition. I wanted real proof. And so that's where it started. It was like this hundred thousand word document that nobody would ever want to read. It really would have been better fit in a medical journal. And from that, I started seeing the juice, the, the thread that was tying everything together. And I realized, saw a few sutras that, that led me on my way. Like the path of yoga will lead you to all the powers of intuition. And I realized, oh, this is the whole practice is guiding us just to listen to ourselves and know our truth and to help us find our own God. And once that realization came, I just started going back through my research book to find what I could really tie to the sutras. So it became almost like a Tetris game more than I feel like some sort of creative work, you know? <laughs> but you really do talk about how a yoga practice teaches us to listen to and act on our intuition. So how does that work? How does a yoga practice like you're describing help us with our intuition? Yeah, let's get into that for a second. And I'll just try to briefly explain the eight steps in that context. I do believe that that is the yogis really just the first five steps of the eight that they described. And they really are steps. It's like a ladder, a stairway to heaven. And the first two things they talk about are called the rules and the virtues, the yamas and the niyamas. And those are really like the Ten Commandments. They just give us the guidelines how to live. And that includes, let's see, the rules are to be kind, to be honest, don't steal, respect your body and simplify and minimize. So that's it. So you could almost print that out and put it on your wall. You probably do that. You don't have to think much about those. You're really trying to be kind, maybe not always to yourself, but we're all working with that with age and try to be honest as best you can with yourself also. <laughs> like, So those are things we know to do. Then the niyamas are virtues. And I also, this is the second principle. So these are another little thing I might print and put on my wall and they help me. I can be quite indecisive, but if I come back to them, they help me know the virtues for being a spiritual being. So maybe when I wanted to create this book and I wasn't sure if I really wanted to put all the time into it, I could come back to these virtues and ask, how do these play into my decision? And these five virtues that the yogis explained are cleanliness, to clean out toxicity, to try to create balance and harmony in your body. Contentment, if something makes you happy, do more of that. If it feels good to you, do it as often as you can. And follow your burning enthusiasm. Follow what lights you up. Svadgaya is the study of the self. So really learn who you are. Sit in meditation. Watch yourself without judgment. And just see what you are without your job, without your clothes, without your partner, with all that stuff. Get real questionable and curious on, on who you are. And the, the fifth value they talk about is, or virtue, is to trust in the universe. Is this in some way 
Are you learning to trust in a higher power or connect with sacredness in yourself? And so those are the first two principles. Then the rest of the principles really have tangible aspects to them. This is yoga as we imagine it. And the first one is asana, which is what most, like we just talked about, the physical aspects, the postures, Mm -hmm. getting in touch with your body, feeling what feels good and comfortable for you. If you sit on the computer for eight hours a day, do you notice how tight your shoulders are? Do your fingers hurt? When you're around certain people, do you feel anxiety in your chest? So really to look at everything, every action you do in a day and realize where you might be creating more tension and resistance and pain versus more openness, more calm, and to redesign your day from that. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and that's good. You said design your day from that. So for people who feel say a little trap, it's like, well, that's great, but I have to do these things. I have to be in this job. I have these demands on me. How do they kind of incorporate that way of thinking into their day-to-day lives? Such a good question, because isn't that what we do? We stay, I should, I have to, I need to in our misery. And so, yes, like, obviously if you realize you hate your job, but you need it for money, your body is showing you tension. So it's finding, maybe you don't immediately find another job, but you know that that is an energy sucker in your life. That is not the path for lightness or freedom. There must be something else for you. And slowly, if you can start to see which small activities, even it could be doing the dishes. If you get angry every single time you do the dishes, talk to who you live with. Say, you know what, this one activity And you have to really just start doing it little bits by little bits by the activities, I think. And and not so much the grand picture, like you said. I like that. I like that you're breaking it down because we do, especially now, people have this sense of frustration that they're not always sure where it comes from. And if we can do that, what you're talking about is like get still and realize, oh, this is triggering me. This is not. This is. That's where you start making the real change. Yeah, you figure out, I mean, we have to make space for newness. That's the thing. And and you feel stuck because there's no space for newness. And to be honest, to create that space is a grieving process. To let that job go that you felt trapped on might come with a lot of sadness that you actually stayed there for 13 years of your life. (laughs) (laughs) It's not always easy. And that is where the pain starts to come in also. The more space you create, the more the trauma can seep to the surface. So you can deal with it and let it go. But that is the starting point. I think Marie Kondo was really onto something when she said, look at every single thing, not just in your closet, but that you do in your life and realize what brings you joy and try to bring more of that into your schedule. And you might start to notice that the tension and the resistance you feel, these energy suckers aren't actually coming maybe from the physical but from the mind. And that's what I started to realize that most of my struggles lived within my thinking mind. And so when, and if you do realize that, then that just naturally leads you to the next step that the yogis gave us, which is the fourth. And that's all about the breath, focusing Mm -hmm. on the breath, pranayama, and learning to concentrate, learning to focus. It is completely counterintuitive these days to have a great focus or attention span with <laughs> or even three seconds of silence, right? Uh, seriously, people get so uncomfortable with moments of silence. And it's like, God, that's where the beauty lives. And so I even was on a, a radio call just before this. And we t- I talked about how my family has a lot of ADHD and they've all medicated themselves for it. 
And to me, I never liked that. I didn't want to. And I really wanted to handle it holistically in this breathing practice, meditation, specifically any kind of meditation, but specifically focusing on the breath in the nose and counting the breaths taught me to concentrate. It was a practice. It was a skill I learned because I never learned it in my family. So yeah, that's the fourth thing. So when you learn to create space and then listen and concentrate on it, you learn to feel. And that's the fifth principle. And that's where the intuitive messages are going to start coming from. So it took us a little while to make it the full (laughs) circle here. Well, we're still not full circle, but that's where the messages start coming. So that's when really loud and clear, like the example you used before, someone might say, I am so done with that job. I feel it so strong now, or I feel I want to do this instead. And that's what these first five limbs, as they're called, or principles are all about is getting you intuitive, knowing what you want, hearing the voice of your soul, connecting with that subtle phenomenon that's happening within you. And the rest, the the final three principles are all about manifesting that, knowing what you want. And then the, the rest of the book is just like how to make that happen for yourself, how to create that reality. When I think this is a great space, a great time to point out that you really live this on a grand scale because you went to Alaska and lived in a yurt and that took you to a whole nother level. Can you talk a little bit about how this changed your life when you started tapping into your intuition? Yes, it's felt in many ways like a very wild, rickety roller coaster ride, to be honest. And it's not... (laughs) is glamorous or is effortless. I have not learned to levitate or anything, but it has been so freeing and I've learned to create and to do what I want for years. Yeah. I was staying in a relationship because I felt that's what I should do. I was doing the jobs I felt I should and learning to listen to my intuition and do what I want has led me on some really adventurous and rewarding journeys. And so I'm, I'm so fortunate to share those in the book, but yeah, I've started a new job. I moved to, to the other side of the world. I've been living in Sri Lanka now for two years and Bali for five years before. So it's just been full of change and really allowing the metamorphosis to happen within myself. Rather before those 10 years in Alaska, I felt quite stuck and Perhaps I needed that, but it's allowed me to go with the change, I feel like, more than anything. Is it scary when you start listening to your intuition? Because the outside world, as in your book, the outside world might see it as, Corey, do you know what you're doing? Whereas you feel very strongly inside, this is the right thing. Yes, it's been incredibly scary. And to be honest, So my book just launched in the past few days. I've just cried. It's so scary. We don't always know why we're doing what we're doing either with intuition. It's just this gut feeling to do it. So I wrote this book and now I'm like going, oh my God, why did I tell everyone all my darkest secrets? So it can be (laughs) so scary and so uncomfortable and leaving a partner, leaving your home, leaving your job, all of those. The reason we're staying in them is because it feels safe. Mm -hmm. So it will, it should feel very scary. How could it not? (laughs) So how do you get over that? Because I think that's where a lot of people, that'll be that gate that stops them. Because even though we feel something and this is really what I want and oh my gosh, I just can't. Yeah. 
yeah, I really wanted to go to Europe, but I really hate those long flights. So I'm not going to do it. (laughs) Yep. The story of our happy lives. Right. And well, and that's really where the manifestation process of this, of the yoga system comes in or the metamorphosis. And in that next stage, the sixth principle, let's see, is it the sixth? Yeah. The sixth is learning to unblock just that it's learning all the ways that your belief system or your subconscious trauma or your insecurities comes in to keep you playing small, to keep you from taking that leap of faith. And so we go into those in details and the yogis even broke this down. There's many more sutras on the ways that we sabotage ourselves actually than there is about the physical postures of yoga, you know, the, the craving, the aversion, the ego chasing. And so if you realize and can see that in yourself, suddenly you can unblock and start to become exactly that. But like you said, you're going to have to step into some fears and it's going to be uncomfortable. That's really where you, you lift that garage and pull the Maserati right out, you know? So it's, uh, (laughs) (laughs) it's a big moment for all of us. And it's, that's where it takes time. And, and really it's a personal deep journey, that step. Yeah. That's the hard part. But finally, if you can do that, if you can say, I want to write a book and I'm going to face all the challenges to, to get there, or I'm going to start a business. And even if I fail, and even if everyone fails, I I followed my heart and I'm going to go after it and see all the ways you're uncomfortable in this process and just observe it until it isn't uncomfortable anymore, Mm -hmm. you really start to move the needle essentially. And the final two stages the yogis told us to do is at that point, when you've done all you can do, just put your hands in the air, believe and trust. In the Hindu book, the Bhagavad Gita, it even says to do this, to create this as a service to God, not in the fruits of of creating something like this book or this business or lots of money, even though in the beginning that might be what you want. In the end, it's just doing this, all this to learn how this cycle works, the cycle of yoga. And at first you might create, let's say a book or a job, but then you're learning to do this with everything. And if eventually your dream is to become enlightened, you now know how to use these eight steps, the stairway to heaven to get there too. Yeah, it's been giving me so much confidence to see yoga in this way as a way of actually tangibly getting towards my enlightenment. It's just that that's so powerful. That's given me so much reason to be compassionate with myself, especially in those blocking stages of the insecure, of finding my self-worth, of all the journeys we go on. (laughs) Yeah, and and each step. Obviously, you know, it opens up a new door and leads you deeper into this journey that you years ago couldn't have even imagined that you would start on. And so what kind of a ritual do people need to create? Because you're very big on people creating their own rituals. And what kind of rituals do people need to look at to keep them moving in that right direction as you have done? And that's exactly the basis of the book, Paula. So thank you for asking me. I mean, that's the perk of getting this book is that you will be guided to create your own rituals. But really the basis behind this or the science even is neurological programming. So if you do something every single day, you feel that you to feel a certain way, you are going to feel that way. So even 
let's take the physical yoga practice. Say I need confidence in my life. I need confidence to put this book out there. Then I'm going to do some arm balances or maybe some planks, something to really make me feel strong. And I might even say, I am strong. And you've taken a moment to create this feeling within yourself, to embody this in a simple daily ritual. But that makes a difference. And if you do that every single day for as many days as you can, you will really start to feel that, embody that, metamorphosize and into that. So that's the key of the rituals is not this daunting yoga practice where you have to sweat and get your legs behind your head like I was doing for all these years <laughs> or some strict one hour sitting cross-legged Padmasana yoga practice or meditation practice, but really just asking yourself how you want to feel and making a ritual that's going to help you feel that way. Immediately, you have intention and meaning and you're moving towards becoming just in the, those five minutes. And sometimes the thought of ritual, it, that can be scary for people. The word ritual itself. So when you're talking about a ritual, can you kind of explain what you mean by that? Yeah. Rituals just, you know, and I too used to be intimidated by any type of commitment. And I had so much suffering for years. Like I said, if I didn't do my one hour yoga practice with my 30 minute meditation. So this is just a way of saying, do the little bits, take the little bits of time you have and just do it as often as you can. It's not a schedule. It's not a to-do list. It's just something you do to remind yourself of an intention of where you're going, of what you need, letting it be the most compassionate form of a daily practice that you can commit to. That's really all it is. And because it will change the way that your body is interacting. And that change is going to be very subtle and gradual. Is that correct? Like you're Yes. Yes, it's not so overwhelming. You don't have to sign up for LA Fitness for five years tomorrow. You know, you just (laughs) have to never get out of the membership. (laughs) Yes. Do five push-ups tomorrow. Just a little bit. Then you feel healthy. That's it. You can always add on to it too. So in my book, I encourage people to ask yourself first how much time you really want to commit to feeling the way you want to feel. And maybe that's 10 minutes, but try that. Even maybe you say, I need more clarity in my mind, more peace in my mind. So I'm going to start doing 10 minutes of meditation as often as I have a 10 minute break, maybe while I'm waiting in line at the doctor, or if I'm sitting in my car, you know, I'm just going to do them twice a day, 10 minutes of breathing. And, and you'll start to see that you create moments of peace for yourself. You did that. You made that choice and you did that. And that's the thing. We, we are so in control of our lives and the way that it moves, but often we don't feel that way. We don't take the reins. Yeah. So, And one thing that you talk about, and we talk about a lot on the show, and that is mindfulness. What role does mindfulness play in all this? Because you explain it so beautifully in the book. I want to say everything. (laughs) (laughs) Not much, just everything, right? (laughs) Right. Every step involves that mindfulness. Everything grows from that mindfulness. And that's really the thing is if you know what you want your mind to be full of mindfulness, you create that. That's what the rituals are all about. You want a moment of peace. You put your mind fully in that ritual of peace in that moment, you create that. So it really is the basis behind everything. Even when we talk about, like I said before, the becoming, the unblocking, the realizing all those limiting beliefs, that's still dependent on that mindfulness. So just because your mindfulness, we often think we're creating peace. It might be 
seeing your trauma, sitting with the trauma, sitting with the pain also. But each step of no matter what that looks like, no matter what the packaging around your meditation practice is colored in, that's making a difference. That's really the key to moving. That's where the energy is. That's where the magic happens. It is. It is. So I I know we have to let you go. Now, there is so much that you teach us in this book. It's a very wise book. It's very compelling and easy to read. It really is a comforting kind of you're sitting there with us walking through it. It's I can't really explain it until someone picks it up for themselves. I'm not able to adequately explain the feeling that this book gives you. And what is it that you most hope that people who read it take away from? (laughs) That's a good question. It's helped me a lot to understand where I might be at every step of the journey. And that's been really helpful for me. It gives me peace in the ugliness and the messiness of this process of life. And I think that there might be someone that's really struggling that finds a lot of peace in that. And knowing that this is a state of unblocking that this right now I'm learning to do this. Okay. This is where I'm at. There's always going to be one place in these eight principles where we're sitting comfortably. And for me, that's been really helpful to just normalize all the ups and downs and to have so much more self-love and compassion through this journey of life. So I hope that others, as they read it, find that happy place that I found by knowing and understanding yoga in this way. Yeah. And that's, this is a great time for people to be discovering this and working on it. And I know we're going to do a book giveaway. If people stay tuned, we're going to tell them at the end of the podcast, how they can get a free copy of Rituals of the Soul. But Corey, thank you. Thank you for sitting down with me. Thank you for writing this book and for sharing what you have learned over these past few years. Thank you so much, Paula. It's just a pleasure. I love having these conscious conversations (laughs) with amazing like-minded friends. And it's just, it's just fabulous. That was Corey Hahn talking with me about her new book, Rituals of the Soul, Using the Eight Ancient Principles of Yoga to Create a Modern and Meaningful Life. If you'd like to learn more about Corey and some of the work she's doing in the space of yoga, meditation, and soul growth, or if you'd like to follow her on social media, visit our website at livehappynow.com and follow the links. And we're also giving away copies of Rituals of the Soul, so look for those details on our website or on any of the Live Happy social media channels that you follow. That is all we have time for today. We'll meet you back here again next week for an all-new episode. And until then, this is Paula Phelps reminding you to make every day a happy one. Mm -hmm.